0: Hey everybody, welcome to episode 29 of Creative Riding, how you doing? That's good! Hey, so on this show, there's a couple things I want to talk about. Uh, First and foremost, being a ride I went on last weekend. Uh, Something I want to mention that's coming up this weekend as well. And cut! All right, great. So first and foremost, I have a guest this episode, and right off the bat, I want to tell you a little bit about this guest. This person and I talked about many things. Uh, First of all is that if you can wrap your head around this, this person lives in the future. Hey, bud. What's going on, man? Just out of bed. Uh, I'm sorry it's so early over there, actually, but...
1: um... Nah, don't be silly. I really am a morning person. So we talked about that
0: to some length on and offline. This person lives in the future through some uh, texting communication. God, I call everything a text. Through some uh, written communication, I asked about, you know, what it was like in the future. This person told me that kangaroos run everything where he uh, is at. And in the middle of typing, actually... He said, oh, shit, and then some mumble-jumble. So I'm assuming one came and got him. And this may have been before or after our interview. I'm not quite sure how time works where this person's from. Um, But another thing we talked about is basically how you have to survive in the future where this person's from. I guess you're either hunting platypus, throwing a boomerang, or playing rugby, right? (laughs) This person happened to be extremely handsome, as is everyone from the future, I guess. I don't know if it's my adult beverage, but you're looking uh, quite handsome this morning. <laughs> well, thank you very much. <laughs> All right, never mind. Maybe I was just drunk. But also, I think this person might have been the voice of Kit. If you remember the show Night Rider from the 80s, the Knight Industries 2000, the car was named Kit, Knight Industries 2000. And let's do a little skit here. Kit! Kit! I got knocked out. I, I lost my memory. What's my name again? Michael and this guy didn't even care that I did the interview naked on my end. I try to be careful about how I move around here and what I jiggle and everything, but sometimes it doesn't always work, so <laughs> yeah, no worries mate. <laughs> so yeah, there you have it we'll We'll get to him in a little bit. Um, first thing I want to mention right off the top of the bat, this show, the top of the bat, what could be on top of a bat unless it's a a tick like a flying bat? the mind boggles. Oh, my God, where'd you come from? But, yes, the mind does boggle. So, first off, I wanted to mention a huge, huge thank you to the folks from uh, Waukesha, Wisconsin. I got the world's best care package. Uh, If you're not a friend of the Facebook page, you can see a video, I'm sorry, a picture of it there. Um, I got a license plate from a 1940 bicycle. Uh, How crazy is that? Number 17. So, there wasn't that many bicycles in uh, Wisconsin, Apparently, Um, I got some Nitrous Chris Motorsports um, magnets. I got, uh, whoops, I'm sorry about that. I got a awesome shirt, a drag racing shirt. I got uh, some signed uh, pictures of Michelle Mankiewicz and Nitrous Chris, um, both of them on the drag strip. Chris is doing a burnout. Michelle's doing a wheelie. Um, I'm not going to tell you which one I like better because I like them both the same. They signed them and autographed them for me and wrote some little cool stuff on there. They both hand-wrote me um, letters of correspondence. And if you go back to, I believe it was episode 13, um, I think that was their inspiration for sending me handwritten materials is the fact that I mentioned it in my handwriting and handkerchiefs and hard-ons episode. I don't think that's what it was really called. I wouldn't have called it that. You can't put that on iTunes. But anyway... Um, I digress. They, it was just so so wonderful. They sent me cookies. Oh my god, those cookies were so good. They are gone, by the way. Um, I'm gonna need a refill on the cookies. Um, not really, but thank you so much for sending them. And uh, I erroneously let my family taste them, and immediately they were uh, gone. So my my loss. Um, I also got. I mentioned a a couple stickers. But um, I got $3 from Chris for mentioning uh, someone on my last podcast. And uh, I think I'm going to go ahead and donate that to a motorcycle-related charity. Any any money or any donatable goods that uh, I get sent to the show is going to go to um, a good motorcycle-related cause. So thank you, Nitrous Chris, for uh, donating to uh, a motorcycle charity. And thank you so much, you guys, once again. I can't. I can't express the gratitude that I feel just from knowing that you guys appreciate uh, the show enough to send me a little care package. Thank you so, 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 so much. And um, good luck this weekend. All right. Second thing on the docket. I went on a ride this weekend. I went on a little ride up to the Bandito Campgrounds up in the Angeles Crest National Forest, um, up the two, which is one of my favorite mountain roads to drive and ride. Well, I don't like driving it that much, but riding it's pretty cool. And it's a nice little gateway, just a little bit of history. Um, A few years ago, the hill caught fire up there, the station fire burned, I don't know how many thousands of acres in the Angeles Crest National Forest. I got pictures of it because I used to go mountain biking up there and riding my motorcycle up there. And I love, you know, all two wheeled things, of course. And so it was really devastating to me when that got burned. And, there's a there's a restaurant up there called Newcomb's Ranch that's um, basically like the Rock Store is over on the Malibu side of the of L.A. where all the schmoes and joes go after they ride um, the snake here in Mulholland. They go over to the Rock Store. It's like super famous, and Newcomb's Ranch is basically like that for the East Side. And what's so cool about the East Side is that you. If you're from SoCal, you know when I say Big Bear, you know what I'm talking about. Big Bear and Snow Summit are the two ski resorts that are super close to us and Mount Baldy, but Mount Baldy doesn't get the uh the amount of snow that um the other two get as far as I know. And so basically, this two, the freeway that you ride is a little two-lane mountain highway, super twisty. You would probably get car sick on it if you're prone to car sickness. You go up there and that fire, when it burned, it closed part of it down. And this is this is like the back way into Big Bear. This is the back way over into where I was a few weeks ago. If you listen to the Willow Springs podcast, it's the back way to there. You can get into like Lancaster and Rosamond via um, just sneaking through the mountain, basically. A lot of times it's closed because a lot of times there's snow on it or the road conditions are bad and they have it closed off. Well, that's what happened a few years ago during the station fire. The road was so bad that um, part of it was gone, and it was completely burned. And Newcomb's Ranch has been up there for I don't know how long. It's just a little restaurant and a hangout area, and somehow they saved it. When the station fire, all you could see behind me on the hills was just flame across the whole uh, entire section of the valley. And I think it had even jumped the freeway and gone started going on to the west side over by the San Fernando Valley where all the porn and everything is filmed. I went up there this weekend. It's the first... I've rode up there a few times, but it's the first time I've been up there in a long time um, for this uh, Mods versus Rockers ride, basically. And the last time I went up there and camped, I was in a car with my buddy who had come up from San Diego. So we did not do the um, the ride and all the fun hooligan shit that you do on your way when you go up there. However, once we got there, shebang, sheboying, dude, it was a crazy party. And that was like 10 years ago almost. So, or yeah, I guess it was probably like nine, eight or nine years ago. So, nearly a decade ago that uh, I first went up there. And so I went back again this year. And let me just tell you that, you know, the forest has totally healed, it's totally beautiful up there again and just as much fun as had every year this is the same same basically group that goes up there all the time they do there's actually vendors now that were there this time i think um i saw a tattoo uh guy up there and there was a few more things up there some barbecue places and whatnot before it was just like a bunch of bikers going up there and camping out and doing biker shit slow races tug of wars uh music all this shit and as it's getting more and more um I don't know. Everything is getting sponsored now. If you've ever seen the movie Idiocracy, you you know that like in the future, we're all just going to be sponsored by stuff. And um, that's kind of what's happening with this. The Law Tigers sponsored it this year. So they had the BAM. If you're not familiar with BAM, go check out Law Tigers. It's like basically a help network, which is really cool. And Law Tigers is obviously motorcycle legal assistant, so that's all great. Um, so Law Tigers sponsored it. Like I said, there was the tattoo thing up there. There was a barbecue up there. There's a bunch of cool stuff. I didn't really stay till the partying happened and all the wizardry happened, which is, if you also looked on Facebook, I shared some of the wizard competitions where you get the biggest wizard staff. You just, after you drink your beers, you tape the cans together and make a very large wizard staff. And you get apparently more wise and... Uh, depending on what you're drinking, you can probably cast a spell at the end of the night. I have no idea, but so I, I didn't stay for all that. I went up there for the ride. I, I met somebody up there briefly. Uh, I was riding. You know, this reminded me of of Liza's conversation with Nock. You know, a couple episodes ago on the Motorcycles and Misfits podcast, where you know, do you wait for your riding buddy? Yada yada. Well, I not only do I wait for my riding buddies, but I saw a bike pulled over to the side with nobody on it. Totally unawares of, you know, maybe they just broke down. Maybe they were waiting for a friend. And I thought it was a dude just taking a piss in the bushes, to be honest. So, pardon me. So, I turn around and I'm looking. There's nobody there. Um, It's pulled over on a pullout. So, I'm like, man, maybe they kind of like seized or something, pulled in the clutch and coasted over to this so a truck could come pick them up. I don't know what's going on, but I'm just I need to see. So there's not really where they had parked, it was like a steep hill going up. So I was like, well they wouldn't go up there to pee. They'd probably just you know, I don't know where they are. So I started honking my horn and like looking around and I hear this, hey Hey and I look over and here comes this lady jumping out of the bushes. So I was like, oh, what's going on? You know, and she just, you know, had stopped for a uh, restroom break so she came over and we started shooting the shit she was really cool um her name was <laughs> I hope she doesn't mind me saying her name but yeah she came over she was really cool she's we started shooting the shit a little bit and um she was pretty funny and I thought it's not every day you stop to see if somebody's okay and a chick comes out of the bushes hiking up her leathers you know so it was pretty funny and she was really um fascinated with my brake lever my I'm sorry my brake pedal she's like man that thing is like cherry where'd you get that and i was like oh it's a stock one you know it came on the bike and uh i guess it's so clean because my foot's always covering it basically and um i use it you know my foot when i use the brake all the time every time i stop you know my foot's probably pushing off all the dirt and she was like oh yeah man that thing looks cherry so of all the things for somebody to be excited about on your bike the the foot pedal was kind of a funny one but anyway that was a that was a fun ride if you looked at our facebook page recently you'll notice that i just a few days after that ride a couple days actually i posted a picture up there of some little stinky james bond budget james bond shit that some ninja had obviously left behind because it looked like a caltrop uh famous ancient ninja weapon it was basically a bunch of 16 penny nails wrapped up in some painter's tape it looked like and there was a couple of them reported to have been found on uh Up there in the Crest Highway, which sucks because when you're out there, it's pretty far. It takes a couple hours to get out there, and not because it's really far away and remote. It's because the hills are so windy and twisty. So if you eat shit down there or out there and go down a cliff or even just, you know, eat it and you have to wait for an ambulance to come, you're going to be out there for a while. It takes a while to drive those twisty mountain roads. Now, the response times probably suck, you know. And then once you get picked up and have to ride back down the hill because there's nothing up there, you know what I mean? You're you're taking taking a ride. So it's pretty shitty of someone to throw those things out there. And reminds me of a few episodes ago we reported over on Mulholland that somebody had thrown some oil down. I mean, please don't sabotage bike rider shit. And there's not a hell of a lot of traffic up there, so I couldn't imagine that it was, um, you know, it's just weird that it's that it was up there period because not a, a lot of people go up there except from motorcyclists and sports cars so sucks. Um, on the way back down, I stopped at Newcombs and I watched a little bit of racing from Road America. Mr. Sime had sent me a message that he was there, sent me a couple cool pics from the basically the start finish line. He was hiding out from the rain. It was coming down in buckets and basically he was hiding and uh cleared up later, so I got to watch a little bit of that. It was really cool I mean, obviously for him, being there at the event and being able to see all that racing, but for me too, just being in an environment where Newcomb's was like 99% motorcycles that day and and some racers and just to hear people talking about racing and all this cool stuff in the background while you're watching racing. It's pretty fun. So that was basically my weekend in a nutshell. Guys, let me know what you did last weekend. Did you knit some socks? Did you uh, vaccinate some cattle? What, what went on? And if you did, did you do it on two wheels? Because I would definitely vaccinate cattle on two wheels. I'll prove it to you. So, hey, guys. I wanted to talk about the same shit that everyone's talking about this week, and that is the SCR950 from Yamaha. Dude, I have just seen it's almost like it's making it as big of a splash as the Ducati Scrambler did when the Ducati Scrambler hit the shores over here, and basically it's a direct competitor um here's the deal uh i okay let's let's rant a little bit let's get off topic and rant. So what you see happening right now with street trackers is what you see happening with cafe racers and what you see happening with scramblers and all that shit. It's pretty soon what we're going to be seeing with sidecars, right? And oddly enough, it's what's happening with Harleys. The counterculture is getting way deep into this shit. And so now the OEMs are jumping on board. The smartest thing Ducati ever did was get that scrambler over here before everybody else, well... Everybody but Triumph, right? Triumphs had a scrambler out forever, but for some reason, people have forgotten about that because uh, Ducati made everything cool and affordable. So, yeah, for whatever reason, you know, when the when street trackers and scramblers started to get super popular, and like the cafe racer craze started to kind of die out, Ducati jumped right on board. The next thing you know, the bolt comes out, and I want to say the bolt came out in twenty thirteen, maybe twenty fourteen. And basically, everybody, when that thing hit the show, everybody had already gotten one to kind of mess around with before it came over. And what had happened was everybody made a Scrambler out of it. And this is like right when Scrambler was becoming like a cool thing and ADV was... Uh, People were doing starting ADV on their Triumphs and shit like that, okay? I mean, obviously people have been doing that forever, but not mainstream. So right before the Ducati Scrambler came over, uh, a bunch of people had done bolts. You had Pelegi Design did one, Roland Sands did one. I can't even remember who all had one at the show the first year they came out, but they were all pretty much Scramblers slash Flat Trackers. Now... Finally, corporate—you uh, know the corporate world is catching up with the counterculture. And we have the SCR950. Why they chose a Bolt, I don't know. Probably because of the V-Twin and the Ducati's a V-Twin. They're going for the similar sound. Of course, it's going to be a little bit bigger. But no one would be scrambling a 950 back in the day. You know what I mean? And if you look at this thing, it's exactly the same thing as the Bolt. It's got laced wheels. And to be honest, the Bolt... For 2017, the base model, not the R spec, has laced wheels also. The fork gators uh come off of the bolt C spec basically. It does have taller handlebars than the bolt, and you don't sit on it. I mean, you don't sit in it rather, you sit on it. Now the bolt you kind of sit down in because it's a direct competitor to like the cruiser market, like a 883 from Harley. So it's got like a little bit more rake and the ass is down a little bit. But this SCR, if you look at a bolt right where the rear fender support bolts on and the seat kind of right where your ass sits uh, and, and connects to the seat, right there is where they have bolted on a whole different subframe for the SCR. And it actually lifts it up and it does give it more of a scrambler feel. It's obviously going to increase the seat height and it gives you a little bit more distance between the rear tire and the fender where the Bolt is just made for like sleek street crews. And even the Bolt C-Spec pretty much has that same rear Uh, fender support and the only difference on the back end is this little seat cowl that they made and that's how they get that cafe look it's not really because they redesigned the subframe or anything so the SCR they actually did they do appear to keep the same taillight as the bolt and you know, me and my coworkers were were scouring over the, the SCR and the specs are the same. It's got like the same fuel tank, the same MPG rating. We're guessing the same. I mean, if you look at it, the motor looks the exact same as the bolt. The exhaust is the exact same, except for like even the muffler is the same, but the pipe where the, uh, where the muffler slides on is angled up ever so slightly. So where the bolt and the C-spec go back, this one just tips up just a little bit, ah, like 10 degrees or so. So they made some minor adjustments to the Bolt platform to bring you the SCR. And I'm not sure what technical upgrades they're going to have, if any, you know, all the ABS or any of that shit. But I'm guessing it's just a Bolt with, uh, you know, a different subframe and some shenanigans. But the thing is, the Scrambler craze seems to be dying out, in my opinion. So does the Street Tracker phase. What we're seeing now is the Harley phase coming in. I even saw an Instagram post the other day where somebody said, hey, what do you ride? And the person was like, like everyone else, a Harley or something to that effect. And I was thinking, dude, not everyone rides a Harley, you tool. Plus, Harley shit used to be like Volkswagen shit, a dime a dozen. But now you're going to see exorbitant prices for all this old, clapped out Harley shit that people couldn't get rid of 10 years ago. You know what I mean? Nobody wanted a Harley 10 years ago, but now they're becoming cool. It uh, it always does take the industry a little bit to catch up with the counterculture. And, of course, the counterculture has already moved on. They're moving on to Harleys. They're moving on to sidecars. So this is just another example of, you know, a big Japanese brand jumping on the Scrambler craze a little too late. Also, you know, Kawasaki really could have had a hit uh, with the W series, you know, the W650, the W800 that they had a few years ago. But of course, Kawasaki is like way ahead of the trend or way after. And Yamaha probably could have done some shit with their CB 1100 had they continued to keep it here and scrambled that shit out. And I don't know, Ducati, you know, they had some success. We'll see how long that lasts. Now that BMW is coming out with the R9T, I just see that this shit's going to be moving on. So uh, not 100% sure if it's worth everybody jumping into the scrambler market now that it's a couple years old because you know the the cool kids are moving on and the builders and everything seem to be gravitating toward flat tracking and toward more toward like harley chopper bobber shit so i credit born free to that and uh you know other other things like that where people are just like yeah man you know they're getting back into the 70s sort of shit which is like more america and more like being free and doing free shit. So I see people uh, taking choppers out into the desert all the time or even into the woods lately. People just uh, getting these big-ass heavy bikes that weren't made for that shit and turning them into, you know, whatever. I'm not going to call them trackers or or scramblers because they're not. They're They're just bombing old crazy shit through the woods nowadays. So, yeah, I don't know. Counterculture's moved on, OEMs. It's time for you to wake up, smell the beans. Hey, you know what else is happening this weekend? I'm pretty sure there's something going on in the Midwest. I'm not I'm not 100% sure what it what it is, but I think it's KOTS. You know, the friends that we keep track of up there in Wisconsin have been going ape shit, posting a bunch of stuff about KOTS. I'm not 100% sure what that stands for, but I'm going to guess it could be Kids on tiny skateboards, um kites over the sycamores, uh keratin or triglyceride supplements, kittens on the stairs Dude I have I have zero clues what it means, but I'm I'm just gonna go with something dumb like uh King of the Streets or something lame like that. Probably some drag race bullshit. But anyway good luck to everyone up there that's participating. It looks like all of our usual suspects from the WIR top 10 list are going to be up there in some capacity, and some of their friends that we have not yet met or spoke to are also going to be up there racing, so hey guys, good luck. Especially since you sent me $3 and a bag of cookies. I will never forget you. Um, America's favorite cheerleader, Missy Keo, will not be up there apparently, so things are going to stay G-rated and, uh, Still, you guys will have a good time. I know it'll be hard, but you'll, you'll pull through. I think it's time to quit bullshitting and get to our guest. What do you say? Take it away, guest.
1: Good morning. Hello, hello. It's Dan here from Australia. I'm 40-plus um, years old, and I've been riding bikes since I was four. I think my dad first gave me my first motorcycle, which was a Peewee 80, when I was four years old, and the first thing I did was loop it in the bushes, showing Mum how cool it was. <laughs> um as I said, I've got uh, a bit of an online presence and I've been writing and writing and drawing motorcycles for, God, however many years it is now. But, um, yeah, I've got a few different uh, places that I like to hang out online, including my own website, dailybikers.com. And uh, that's where I sort of do a fair bit of my writing. And then I've got a little Etsy shop called Daily Bikers as well. And on the Etsy shop, it's all of my um, scribbles and drawings turned into mostly gift cards, but different things for motorcycles and motorcycle-related fan stuff. Um, and then I'm, you know, pretty much everywhere else online you can think of. I've got Facebook, I've got Twitter, Google+, um, and that's probably probably where I think we met with the creative writing posts was on uh, Google+. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um actually you know obviously you were in i searched motorbikes and you were the first person that came up and this is months ago when, before i even had a podcast and i was wow. like what's this google plus thing ripping off facebook right so I, I just searched motorcycles dan michael's collection i didn't really know what collections were and i saw what? yours and i clicked on it and then the next thing you know it's basically the only one i needed to go to to be honest you know yeah and, um suffice it to say you're, you're a slight motorcycle enthusiast and, and somewhat aficionado and the whole reason I actually finally decided to uh, contact you uh, personally to get this interview was because I was a bit of an asshole <laughs> and I, I was trolling one of your uh, little BMW posts. I was just kidding anyway, but you know. Uh, True story. You know, I thought
1: that was pretty funny. <laughs> so who is this guy what the hell (laughs) and i think i fired back something pretty cheeky as well and that was when i realized i was getting trolled and it was all good (laughs) yeah yeah no i was just
0: like oh geez because you know every around here everybody and their mom has a gs you know what i mean they're like the of course (laughs) worldwide right worldwide yeah Uh, i think i I saw about 20 of them on i went for a ride yesterday and at least 20 of them passed me and that's not hyperbole that's the truth and um I was just up, up in this Bay Area, San Francisco area last weekend. Again, uh, I, on the freeways, probably double that, you know, like...
1: Uh, yeah, right. Wow. It,
0: yeah. So, I mean, they're, they're the... Uh, if we're going to call them, you know, a lot of people copy them. So, they're like the premier, you know, do-it-all touring bike. And I was just like, oh, not another GS. Oh, he can't really jump it off those stairs or whatever you're looking at. And so, yeah, that was... Uh, it was pretty funny. And I right away, I could tell your sense of humor and i thought oh man me and this guy are going to get along
1: <laughs> so yeah, yeah that's cool yeah you know, you know I've, I've only had the gs for uh, probably eight months now so it's still pretty new to me but i'm trying to break down that stereotypical thought about having one because since the new engine the, the water cooled box has come out I, f- I feel like the whole bike is a different bike and mm-hmm. i um I actually spent some time in the uk touring um mostly scotland and a bit of england um on one of the earlier gs's it was a 2012 so just before the water cooled boxer came out and i thought what a piece of shit this bike is (laughs) junk it's gutless it's got a horrible throttle response and what is this crazy tele lever front end you know like it's got no no pitch and no dive and it just really freaked me out and i thought no that's a piece of junk i'm never riding one of those again and then um at the time, I had a Multistrata. When I came back home, I was like, yeah, this is the shit, man. This is what I missed, you know. And um, a f- another friend of mine helped me change my mind, basically. And I test rode the uh, the new water watercooled GS. And I was sold. Thing is a ripper.
0: Yeah. You know what they are. And I write uh, motorcycle technical data for a living. And when those came out and I was looking at the data for it, I was looking at it uh, thinking – you know, this is, I could tell just from front to rear, they didn't just plop a new motor in it. You know what I mean? They, they redid, uh, I thought I was going to be able to look at it and kind of apples to apples compare it to the old one. And hands down, it was, uh, redesigned. And now that, you know, the water boxer is basically in, in almost everything. I think the R9T might, might be the only one that still has the air and oil cooled, uh, engine. I might be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure that, Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the only one that still uses the, um, I forget, the K50 or the K25 motor versus the K52 or whatever the the water box is called. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So also from, no, I haven't like totally internet, you know, stalked your past or anything, but it does look like (laughs) you are a BMW fan. Uh, It looks like you've had a few.
1: Um, I've had two actually. Yeah. The first one. The, the first uh, sojourn into BMW land was their inline four in the S1000RR. Oh, okay. So wow. S- single R. I made a mistake. The single R. So the naked version, which was detuned a mm-hmm. bit, but still there, you know, 150 horsepower or something. Oh, yeah. Um, Four-stroke, four four-cylinder weapon of madness. And it was right. just – it was a crazy bike, and I loved it, but it was actually a little bit small for me because I'm, uh, I'm fairly tall, six foot two. Yeah, And I really felt like I just, I could never really get comfortable on that bike. Right. Um, and plus the power was just ridiculous. I'm, I'm much yeah. more of a twin fan than, a, than an inline four fan.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Cause it comes on, you know, the, the bottom end torque is, uh, uh, compared to a twin is like, you know, where they compete basically. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. did it feel a bit like riding like a, a push bike or something then compared to like a <laughs> Being able to like uh, stretch out on a motorcycle a little bit.
1: <laughs> I, I use the analogy Donkey Kong on a trike. I felt like, you know, I never, I was sitting on top of the bloody thing the whole time. I never really felt like I sat in it. And it was just, um, yeah, I don't know. It just wasn't, just wasn't cool. Cause as we've just discussed, Australia is a pretty, you know, it's pretty, well, we haven't talked about it a lot, but it's a pretty, um, pretty, um, uh, vast country you know there's lots of space in between the major cities um so we do quite a lot of long to long haul riding which might be you know like eight hours on the saddle um to get to the next town and that shit just ain't comfortable on an s1000r with no fairing you know just sitting on top of this bike like a praying mantis on a giant (laughs) scooter
0: Right. (laughs) A praying mantis trying to ride a dung beetle across country. Um, (laughs) That's it, man. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, how did you get into biking? I mean, at four, um, you had a fairly early start.
1: Well, see, it's funny over here, we don't sort of think of it as that unusual. And I think that's because we do have such a vast country. Most kids, you know, especially the ones like uh, our family, we grew up in the country area. So there was lots of scrubs and trials and you know, different um, forests and everything. It was all rideable. So most kids would have had a dirt bike as a part of their sort of growing up. And for me, um, my whole family rode, my oldest brothers. Got two older brothers who both rode. My sisters could ride. Mum met dad riding a motorcycle. You know, there was all this sort of motorcycle history in our family, and it was just really natural. So, yeah, the minute I could actually have one, that was it. I was sold, and I've never right. looked back, really. I had, right. I had a small sort of gearhead petrol car moment in my 20s, but always came back to motorcycles.
0: Yeah. Um. So from that first time you looped your uh, 50 into the bushes until
1: uh, <laughs> you were sold? <laughs> yeah, that was it. I'm, I'm into this. <laughs> That's
0: all, yeah. I know. It seems like the the allure of danger is all it takes for, you know, guys to – to think, like, oh, this is this is good.
1: <laughs> it's so true. I was just thinking about that the other day. You know, it, I was tipping in really hard on a on a, um, a merge lane going on the freeway. I've got this little loop close to my house that uh, touches two or three different main freeways that connect the west where I live into the city, and um, they have these great merge merge ramps, which are really kind of like nice, long, sweeping corners that are, are speed rated at the national speed rate uh, speed limit which is 100ks so you can basically jump on them tuck in real hard and just give it all it's got and i had this kind of weird wee moment on the back of the gs kind of went a little bit wiggly and i've just kept on powering through it but i was thinking you know that's what it's all about it's that yeah. little bit of danger that makes you feel alive and i really love it
0: i'll get into like all the bikes you've owned um if you've been having them since four, I'm sure there's one or two in there. So we'll, I want to get into that. But how did you uh, get into drawing?
1: Sure, sure. Um, well, I've always kind of played around with drawing. I've again since since I was a young kid, I li- I just liked um, the medium of drawing. I liked pencils. I liked textures. I've, I've just always liked that sort of. Um, arty stuff i guess so i did it pretty much all the way through school and you know everyone's got that same story where you end up drawing portraits of your family or some crap for your exams and you know never look at it again um and then you know i suppose a big chunk of my life i sort of just put it down and got serious about having a living making a living um and then i've kind of realized i suppose after 15 years in a corporate corporate job that it's really not how I want to live my life not what I really want to do with my life and I kind of um navigated into a situation where I could have some time out from work so I never 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 really did that um sabbatical thing where you leave high school and go and party for two years or whatever I kind of went straight through into a corporate role and um I did a bit I did a bit of cool stuff but I felt like something was missing. So it would be about two or three years ago now. I just went, well, that's it. I'm going to have some time out and I'm going to explore what I, what else I can do to make a living other than, you know, working my ass off for 40 or 60 hours a week for the band kind of thing. Right. And um, my sister's also a bit arty. My, a couple of people, my family are a bit arty, I'd say. And it was actually my sister who said to me, why don't you – why don't you do more motorcycles? You've never really, you know, played around with drawing motorcycles. And as soon as she said it, it was like a light went off in my head. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what I want to draw. Cool. <laughs> and um, from there, I just got obsessed and started drawing motorcycles like mad. And uh, yeah, the next thing I knew, I had an Etsy shop, and it was all going really well.
0: That's awesome. Is that your primary income?
1: Um, if it. Would be I would die of starvation because I don't make a lot of money out of it. <laughs> it's more like a little bit of a hobby, uh, hobby income, and maybe the odd, you know, petrol cap for a BMW. Or a set of um tire valve caps for something
0: <laughs> but, right 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 I know unfortunately that's the thing too if I could sit around and blab about motorcycles with awesome people all the time, I would be a millionaire, but in reality <laughs> I'm like you know this is, this is my last beer and uh maybe, <laughs> maybe next week I'll be able to afford another one you know so <laughs>
1: no I know it's, how it exactly goes. yeah <laughs> yeah so my main source of income is actually freelancing so copywriting is freelancing and i do that on a um a little marketplace a little bit like ebay for freelancers if you will and i work for software developers mostly so that's kind of become my main source of income and then the uh the etsy thing with the motorcycles is my hobby and secondary income and the rest is uh yeah sort of get by somehow i guess
0: (laughs) so yeah that's great and you know they say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life, but they also don't tell you that you probably will starve to death. Cause even, you know, Mozart, uh, <laughs> did what he loved and he, he died penniless. He didn't make a cent <laughs> after he was dead. So oh,
1: no, that's didn't, right, be- right.
0: didn't become famous all after he was dead. So yeah, keep up whatever you're doing. That's, that's, uh, keeping food on the table. Um, so let's talk hobbies. I want to know what you do when you're not writing. <laughs>
1: I'm not writing. You'll probably find me you'll probably find me splitting my time between writing for the blog. So Daily Biker's takes up a little bit of my time. I'm always trying to write you know something that's not just a boring me blog. I'm trying to bring something that's a bit interesting to the table with my writing there. And if I'm not doing that, I'm probably drawing because believe it or not drawing one of those motorcycles takes a long time the coloring especially is imagine. you know it can take days leading to weeks leading to months I'm, I'm doing a knucklehead at the moment like a really early 36 knucklehead and it's got so much uh chrome and black and just all the hues of gray through to black through to white and silver it just takes forever trying to get it right right so um yeah
0: that's one of the things about a drawing is that people don't realize to make something look shiny or reflective, you have to do all that by hand. And, uh, yeah, I could imagine that just coloring in one of those things in to make it look as good as they do takes, you know, the, the illustrating, the lines might be the easiest part actually, you know, that's, that's pretty incredible.
1: True, true. Yeah. Look, it's, um, it's been about, 15 months i think now since i actually started and my my style has changed a lot like at at the start i was using watercolor pencils and watercolor paint and if you look at my early work i don't know if you can see it online because um like i can see it and i can notice it straight away but sometimes when i show other people they just think it's the same as what i've always been doing but for me the really early stuff was very basic and i was just using basic colors so it probably looked a little bit more i don't know avant-garde or something whereas what i really wanted to do was try to get that kind of hyper realistic look to them so i started using um well posca paint pens is one of the mediums that i really like but then i found out about copic markers and um, copic markers have this cool coloring system which is basically color by numbers and um the effects you can get by using all of their grays and silvers and and different hues of black it's just awesome, you know, and some of the bikes that I'm producing of late, for, to me, look hyper real, you know, they're just almost photography-like, excuse me.
0: Right, right, that's one thing I, I noticed, I was looking at uh, an old Ducati cafe racer that you had illustrated, and I was thinking, oh man, this looks so cool, because it here it is, it's a drawing, and... And it just looks so cool and the, it's real vibrant colors. And then I was looking at that fat boy that you did and the thumbnail, yeah. I was like, wait, oh wait, that's a picture. And then I zoomed in. I thought, oh shit, no, that's, he drew that, you know? So uh, yeah, yeah. I could tell, I could tell, but the the thing is, is I, I like both styles, you know, like both, both of them have a, a showcase your skills so well, but at the same time, you, I, you know, what you're saying about the the styling being different, like, yeah, one looks like a cool yeah illustration and one looks like like i said it looked like a photo from the thumbnail and i had to zo- i thought why well, i thought he drew these you know not took photos and i yeah. zoomed in and holy shit that's a drawing so <laughs> you know i hate I, I hate those assholes i you know I, I go to the motor shows usually for work and stuff and there's that guy that he's uh, been big for the last couple of years and he's doing shit with chopsticks and you know he's drawing with chopsticks he's a japanese guy i forget his name um but he, you know you're like oh come on and then a few hours later here's this bike that looks pretty damn real like uh, it's not <laughs> so and then he just like splashes a little bit sort of like uh Jackson Pollock on it you know but it still is amazing and you realize you know what I look at your drawings and I think maybe if I sat down for an afternoon I could do this and then 5 hours into it when you're banging your head on the table because you can't even get like a round realistic looking <laughs> wheel you're going no this this is real skill it's not just you know you make it your your drawings make it look so simple and what you do, what I don't think people get away from it is the actual like intricacy and delicateness of each uh, you know, basically like the techniques behind getting him to look that good, but still look that simple. And, and you know what I mean? It's just, it's pretty incredible.
1: Well, so thank you very on. much, man. That makes, uh, that makes me feel really good. I'm, I'm really uh, flattered to hear you say that because yeah, for me, those earlier drawings and that Ducati that you mentioned, it's uh, the green and red custom cafe racer, right? I yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I know the cool. one, the one straight off my head, that one is sold really, really well as birthday cards. And, um, even as prints, it's been one of the ones that keeps selling and keeps selling. But from my perspective, I almost didn't load it onto the site for sale because I just thought, oh, it looks too – I'm not sure. I don't, I don't think it's any good. I don't know if I'm any good. And, um, you know, so it was a, it's a really weird thing for me as the person who made it to hear someone say that, um, whereas, you know, that, these days I strive for that kind of fat boy finish on every drawing that I do yeah. And I think I'd find it really hard to go back to that watercolor stage and make stuff look like that again. It's just right. yeah, it's just a weird a weird thing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, going going backwards feels counterintuitive, but uh mm, mm. I'm sure sometimes it would be I don't know if you do it just for fun, just to get it out. Like you feel like you need to draw and you don't, you're you're not going to be putting the effort toward it, but you just do it because when I was, um, that's why, let me, let me counteract my compliments by saying that, um, I hate your guts for being able to do that. What would take me like (laughs) seven seven years (laughs) to do one stinking illustration. I don't do anything as good as any of the people I talk to. That's the great thing about doing this podcast, because <laughs> even it is mediocre. But most people don't have time to like go try and do a podcast.
1: You, the, yeah, credit credit to you actually committing and doing <laughs> something and 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 executing it, and then having a product that you can actually say, "Well, there are bloody is." Yeah, that's, right. That's kudos to you as well, man.
0: Right, <laughs> right, and um, they are this podcast is about as mediocre as my drawing so um thank you for the compliment <laughs> everyone everyone seems to like it but i do the same thing i was like should i even put this out should i even do one this week you know
1: <laughs> so yeah yeah but we are we're starting critics hey
0: yeah yeah well that's the thing too is I'll, I'll draw with my kids and stuff like you like that's what i was wondering about if you ever just blow one out of the water and it looks like total shit to you but then someone else would look at it and be like wow that's that's cool that's great you know because i yeah. draw stuff with my kids and they they treat me like picasso you know and then i look at it and <laughs> like oh that's just like a little scribble you know and uh, yeah, yeah. unfortunately when i when i try to do really good stuff because i've tried to draw motorbikes you know years ago and i mean i you can see i made it about 30 or 40 minutes i just i couldn't sit down and take the time that you do to, to put into those just because i i need like instant gratification you know what i mean <laughs> and um yeah it's just that I totally just understand yeah. i totally
1: understand and um i get asked a lot online you might have even noticed it in some of the google plus communities and stuff where we've hung out together but i get asked a lot to do other people's bikes and it's mostly chicks they want to do their husband's bike they've got a boyfriend and they want to you know make the most awesome birthday present can you please draw me a bike and i have to say no because I just, I can't charge for that. It would take way too long. And I feel like I'd need to charge, I don't know, maybe a thousand dollars a drawing because it just, it takes so much of my time to do one. Yeah. And this, and the second reason, well, so that first reason is purely financial. I don't mind drawing bikes for people. And I, I have done um, a couple of favors for close friends who've had like, you know, a really important birthday for their brother or their dad or something like that where i'm emotionally invested and i don't I don't mind doing it for nothing for them but this, the second reason that i don't do custom drawings is the bike has to speak to me and that might sound so corny but it's totally true i can't just pick any bike or be given any photo of a random motorcycle and and be told draw it because it just doesn't work like that for me if right. i've got I have to have some sort of inspiration from the picture that I'm looking at. does that make any sense, or do I sound completely mad
0: oh uh, no no um i have I have a friend that was a tattoo artist and he wouldn't do any flash off the wall because the same principle he didn't really believe that he should be brought something and or somebody come in and pick some that that if they were doing that he felt like it wasn't um it wasn't a personal thing. They were just looking at like a little picture that they're going to regret regret six months to, you know, two years down the line. And Mm. actually on the podcast, um, I believe on episode 18, uh, there's a local artist here and he, he does the same thing where he, he does tattoos on people, but he doesn't tell you what he's going to do. He asks for personal items from you, some music, you know, sort of the same sort of process where it has to speak to him. He has to, he actually asks for like a, 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 lucky object or something for you to for him to hold on to while he's giving you the tattoo and all wow. this stuff speaks to and then what comes out is the final product and you're not even sure what it's going to be so you better not get it like on your ass or somewhere that you can't see you know what i mean so <laughs> or, <laughs> yeah. but it's the, I, I totally understand it's the same i think it's the I, I think that's basically the the mind of an artist and and a lot of times if you're an art that is um like movies or if you work in Hollywood and stuff, a lot of people around here, there's a whole crew that just takes direction because that's what they're good at. And Lord knows that the writers and the directors, when you come in and tell somebody, this is how you're going to do it. And it's like, well, this is my thing. You know, it's hard. Mm. I I could see, I could see the conflict where you would want to listen, this is my piece of art. I know it's your bike, but I'm doing it, you know?
1: So yeah. 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 It's It's always a real trip. I mean, I've got a folder that I just collect the images that I like. On my desktop and if the bike doesn't speak to me there's just no chance that i'm going to be able to draw it I, don't, I really feel like that sounds a bit crazy but it really is how it works because i work from photos um and and it's got the photo has got to be right you know it's got to look good it's got to have i don't know that there's so many elements of, of the motorcycle and how it talks to me the color that it is it, you know it's got a lot to do with the color um but yeah i, I just can't do it like, mm-hmm. click my fingers and, and draw any old bike. Right. Um. Some and some people don't get that. Some people find that really hard to uh, take as an answer when when I'm asked to draw something.
0: Going down the chain of, you know, the chain of production too. I wonder if the photographer that took the picture that you're looking at felt the same way. Like, hey, this bike really speaks to me, and he got beautiful imagery of it because i mean that's yeah. like the, that's like the hardest part is to be told hey we needed a photo of this and then you go in and, and you love what you do still you know so that's interesting and i don't think you're off your rocker because uh, you know three other artists have confirmed uh the same sentiments um yeah, cool what would you say I mean, I don't know how many different bikes you've drawn, but uh, do you have a favorite? Is that, is that like asking you to choose, choose your favorite dog or your favorite kid or, you know? <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. Um, no, actually, that's pretty, that's pretty straight up for me. It was um, a 2015 uh, GSX-R 1000. It's in the uh, MotoGP colors, and it's the same sort of bike that uh, Vinales is riding in this year's GP. So it's that really full-on bright blue with the right, white Suzuki logo splashed across the fairing. Oh, yeah. That was actually one of my very first multimedia pieces that I used um, Copic markers on. And I spent so much time on that bike getting the the depth of it and really trying to make that uh, fairing look like a, um, you know, it had uh, contours and shape and really rounded edges and, and just all the beautiful kind of um, sparkly bits that made it glow. So that that was that was a real turning point for me in terms of the, the drawings that I make, um, being able to come out with that product and just go, holy shit, man, that looks amazing. And and one of the things that um, people don't realise is that, that I draw them really quite large. I draw them in A3 or A2 size. So it's, you know, literally quite a big drawing. So what happens when I condense that drawing? So every every, every time I finish um, a full rendering of a, of a bike. I take it over to my local Officeworks, which is just a stationary shop here in Australia. And they've got really large scanners, like flatbed scanners that have um, high-resolution DPI, and high, they, they capture colour really, really well. I get them to scan the original drawing, so I've got that as a, a, a raw file to work with when I make my other products, like whether it's going to be an, a, you know a stash tin or a birthday card or some gift wrap. I have to get that original file back first. And the the weird thing that happens is um when you shrink it, it just gets hundred and twenty million times more more detailed and the colour is so much more vibrant. That I think that's where this hyper realistic thing came from. Where you know, the word that I use to describe the drawings that, that are like that is hyper realistic. Not sure if that's even a good choice of words, but
0: uh, it is the, now. Yeah. It is Yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, there
1: you go. Pen that one down to Dan Michael. <laughs> when they when they get that small man, they just look even more intense. It's crazy, and that, that yeah. so that's for me that's my favorite drawing so far.
0: I wasn't sure if you are going to say they, they lose detail, but they they increase. They get do they get more vibrant too, like the coloring and all yeah. that stuff. That's yep. incredible. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, a lot of times it's funny that that's your favorite one. Suzuki gets criticism all the time for just being bold new graphics you know what i mean it is a beautiful color palette though i have to agree so that's awesome um thanks man um, yeah i I,
1: I really like the the starkness of the uh it's kind of white and then a um, pastel green and then that bright blue and together it's uh it's such a cool color combo
0: right yeah you don't see that many times on a lot of times bikes nowadays, are, they're trying to reduce the signage and the nameplates and emblems and, you know, get everything yep. smaller, I guess, so that it looks like yep. more of just a color palette. Um, that, that's one thing about the Harleys you might enjoy, is, especially the CVO bikes, is that they have yeah, yeah just a crazy assortment of, you know, and the colors have really crazy names. They haven't had it for a couple of years, but they had, you know, Tequila Sunrise and Spiced Rum, you know, like mm. Totally Harley stereotype, you know, old fat guy out drinking his drinking his um, brew or whatever. But yeah, pretty pretty funny. But the colors they have are, are pretty awesome. Even though I'm not a big Harley guy, I have to I have to admit, they have the most vibrant uh, OEM colors, you know.
1: Yeah, uh, for sure. Well it's funny you say that actually. I'm currently working on an XR twelve hundred. Oh man. There go. Here we go. So this is a oh. an XR twelve hundred. I've done the line drawing. And I've gone back over it a couple of times with the markers, but I'm trying to get the orange, right? Because if you think XR1200, you know that's an orange bike, don't you?
0: Oh, yeah.
1: You just you know, immediately, it, it sings KTM orange in my head. But doing the color study on that bike, there's actually very little orange in it. It's actually kind of red. So right. it's, it's a really strange process that I go through when I, when I go through trying to get the colors right for the bike. Um, and i use like you know swabs trying to find the right color that bike i was thinking oh yeah it's going to be this 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 and this and it just turned out to be red so that's going to be a really interesting bike to see how it comes out. yeah
0: whenever whenever my kids are drawing and they'll look at the crayons and the red orange is right next to the red and sometimes they'll pick up the red orange erroneously that's what i feel like is that bike tricks you it's not orange at all it's like you, you picked up the wrong crayon because this is a red orange bike, you know? So yeah, that's, that's pretty funny. Th- uh, those are probably also my favorite Harley Davidson's. Um, you know, they don't, unfortunately they don't make any, I, I see them once in a while at racetracks, you know, where people have taken them off the street and, and are, are racing them, but you just, I haven't seen one in the wild on the street in, I don't know how many years it's been probably at least 2013 is probably the last time I saw one on the street. Um, yeah, right. so yeah, those, those are beautiful bikes. So when you're not drawing and you're not writing, um, you're obviously doing one of two things or three things, actually, I guess you're either hunting platypus, throwing a boomerang or playing rugby, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's it, man. Spot on. <laughs> yes. Kangaroos are just leaping down the street every day. <laughs> So
0: really, really, do you, is that, do you have like any, uh, is there anything around it, Melbourne that you love? Is there like a big music scene or anything there
1: or a big? Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Like there's an absolutely happening music scene. I'm just getting a little bit too old in the tooth myself to be a part of it anymore. But for sure, I used to love, love I played in bands for quite a few years when I was younger. Um, and I really do like live music. and um, listen to a lot of music at home. Whether I'm in the car, or in the office, or out on the bike, I've always got some sort of music going. Um, awesome. I really like really like film as well, so I always try to treat myself to a, a movie session once a week or once a fortnight. Go and see something on the big screen because I, I love that whole experience from um, being in a cinema. Actually, that was reminding me too. I wanted to say something, which is another weird kook about my drawing uh, habit. Is that um, after studying colours for, like, I say, a full day and really intensely being in the flow, doing one of these bikes, when I go outside, it's like I've never seen colour before in my life. It's a <laughs> really strange phenomenon that happens. It's like uh, I've been born for the first time and I've never seen colour before, you know. And I think it's because I look at the the hues of black for eight hours. And you come outside, and it's like, whoa! Everything's so bright. Look at that tree, man! It's got three colors of orange and six yellows in it. It's a really strange thing that happens to my eyes, and it might just be some sort of crazy psychosomatic trip. But it, it's true. It's really, um, really opens your eyes up.
0: Right. you're your. Um, I forget if it's your rods or your cones. I think it's your cones that do color. They probably shut off after just looking at black and white for a while, and then yeah, you just you're exposing them you know, turning them back on for the first time. They're doing a cold boot going, what the hell is that?
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Everything just looks so vibrant, you know, like even the grass. Standing there holding my dogs and looking at the grass for 20 minutes going, wow, man, there's yellow in that grass.
0: (laughs) Yeah, people are like, I wonder how much acid that guy took this morning. He's been standing there for 20 minutes staring at the grass.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't care what they think. (laughs)
0: Yeah, fuck. Fuck those guys! Um, Fuck those guys! So, jumping back into motorcycles. Now that we know your favorite uh, illustration, um, do yeah. you have? Do you have a favorite bike that you have owned in the past? Um, yeah, yeah I do actually. Of, a couple of all the of all the bikes you've owned. Yeah, which ones were your favorite and why?
1: I'd, I'd probably go right back to my earlier years when I was in my twenties, and um, I because. In Australia, you are allowed to get your driver's license when you're 16 in South Australia, and when you're 18 in Victoria. This is when I was growing up 20 years ago. It might have changed now. I think it's I think it's 18 universally across all the states now. But um, so here's me riding motorbikes. You know, since I was four, dirt bikes. I never had a street bike though. It was all sort of like you know. Um, we call them ag bikes, which is short for agricultural bikes, just bikes that live on the farm, you know, like an MX100 or something like that, an old Yamaha or DT500 or, you know, a, a, a YZ80 or whatever. And then it sort of comes around to, you know, um, the, the ability to actually get, to get a road license and ride on the road. And so I'm like, yeah, totally, I'm doing that. I am so doing that. What bike am I going to get? Right, going to get this, going to get that found out it turned out you can only ride a 250cc for the first year before they give you your p-plates and then you've got to get your full license so you've got to ride a 250cc motorcycle and i'm thinking they suck man what am i going to get that's kind of this is going to be shit and sure enough it really was i bought a kawasaki zzr 250 and it was shit four-cylinder two uh, four-stroke piece of crap you just just revved and revved and revved and never really went anywhere yeah so that lasted about i don't know six months maybe of utter frustration before i realized that i could get an rgv so yeah going from a a, a four-stroke bike to a two-stroke bike and on the road i was in heaven and that was like probably one of my all-time favorite motorcycles the rgv 250
0: yeah, man. Talk about it. Those things, even a two-stroke 125, the first bike I ever looped was a two-stroke because I didn't, real, <laughs> I, I didn't realize that it was basically like an on-off button, right? I mean that. That's yeah. Yeah. Fun. Were you also like six foot five at that point in your life or six two? I mean, were, you, were you tall then as well? So it was just like riding. Was it like riding until you found the uh, RGV where you just, you felt like you're just on the, um I don't know, like an electric moped or something <laughs> just cramped up and... <laughs> No, those, those are I, great. I, would, I
1: think, you know, with the exuberance of youth, I didn't notice it as much. But, uh, yeah, I, I shut up in high school, so I, I, I still was 6'2", and I was, you know, crammed over this tiny little bike. But being fitter and, and lighter, like I never – I was really quite a skinny, scrawny kid, so didn't weigh much. Jump on this RGV, h- hulked over the tank, you know, in the full races, crowds, just pinning it <laughs> when we hitting that two-stroke power band as often as I could. Right. It was mental fun absolutely mental fun loved it like i have had quite a few bikes but i'd probably pick out um the buell as one of my favorite bikes as an adult so i had this inter intermittent stage when i was about i don't know 25 to maybe 30 where i didn't really road ride road bikes anymore anymore because i moved from south australia to victoria which is kind of like changing countries in australia right you know it's it's an eight-hour ride or or a two-hour flight in a plane to get back home, sort of thing. So I sold everything I had to get over here to be here, and then I just relied on public transport for a while before I finally got back into riding again. And it was a few years later down the track, but I, I got a, um, I got the bug really badly for the Buell. Really liked the um, what Eric Buell was doing with his bikes, and I really liked the uh, Ulysses, which was an XB12X, big upright, wide bars. 1200cc sports motor and it just went like the clappers it was awesome
0: I too looked at those mm. and went man just the double headlights everything about the Bules I thought was so cool looking you know what I mean
1: yeah same same yeah, yeah. and I kept yeah. that bike for four years whereas normally my bikes get changed over pretty quick so to me that says that it was a good bike because you know I hung, hung onto it for a long time
0: yeah how often do you go through bikes like uh, people go
1: through chewing gum or <laughs> Well, I'm trying to settle down a bit now because I'm doing the freelance thing. I haven't got as much money um, for, at hand as, as I used to when I had a full-time job. But um, for the last sort of five or six years, it's been a new bike every year just about, which <laughs> oh. is crazy. Yeah, uh, you're, really,
0: you're really settling down.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah totally, totally pulling the pin on all that stuff. But now I'm, I'm actually going to – I've set a goal and the, the GS has to be a four-year bike. That's what I've told myself. has to be up there with the Buell. And has to last four years. And I think it will because it's a pretty damn good bike.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, do you think you can – sounds like you like it enough to be able to stick with that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Look, um, I went and had a look at the new Multistrada Enduro the other day because it just landed here in Australia. And of all the sort of options that would be out there, I mean, I think the, the GS is the most flexible, um, comfortable, it's you know i reckon it looks great a lot of people think it's ugly but i've got the triple black which is just you know murdered out pretty much black everywhere um and it can do you know you can do the twisties in the mountains just as well as just about any other bike that i've come across and yet you can go off-road and do serious off-road riding as well so in terms of you know if i actually had a dream bike to change to it'd be pretty hard at the moment to, to choose something outside of the gs i um I rode the S1000XR and I didn't like it because the power delivery of the inline four was just a bit too nuts. You know, it just felt a bit crazy and it had that weird vibration in the bars. That just put me off. I thought, nah, I'm like not going here. I, I like my big twins. So if there was a, a, a sort of dream bike in the future, I suppose it might be the Multistrada Enduro, but I'd probably want to wait for the next two or three iterations so they really nail it and, and see where it goes from there because, you know, it's a bit... It's a bit too raw at the moment. I don't want to be an early adopter on the first edition of another motorcycle, which I've done in the past.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's live and learn, right? Because that's the thing. A lot of people will do that with the first generation of anything. It's like, ah, you know, there's a few things that you can iron out on here. So, yeah, usually the second and third gen is when things start to become super, super, super good. Um, You know, I noticed that Ducati also, to me, looked a little bit like a the GS copycat, just a tad. You know what I mean? Everybody. I mean, you know, if you're, if you're going for a, a ADV category, you know, any adventure touring, you're going to copy the GS just because it is, like we said earlier, the most pervasive bike, you know, in that category.
1: Exactly. I couldn't help, but notice the difference. Sorry. Notice the similarities when I was taking a few pictures, even, uh, even right down to the, um, the wheels. It looks like they've got GS wheels on the thing. Hmm. Like tubeless With, with the, um, yeah, tubeless and spoked. So, you know, it looks really similar to the GS. 30-lily tank, you know, all, all of that sort of stuff. It's kind of pretty obvious that they're going straight for a GS copy.
0: Yeah. I, I, I also love when people say that this bike is obviously going for the GS, trying to knock the GS off its throne, and yet everybody's copying, <laughs> you know, the GS. The only thing I can see hitting somebody is on some price point oh man yeah i looked up gs prices and i the gsa was uh the, advent, the you know the adventure package yep. was 187 american and i was like dude you could buy a honda nc uh 700x for like road touring an xt250 just for like blowing through the trails and that's only you know, 12,000 bucks right there. So you still, and then you could buy two Ninja three hundreds. So I was just thinking like you could have four bikes for the price of that, you know, but granted, yeah. I mean, people live, like I said earlier there, I'd seen a billion of them on the road. So people live and die by that, you know, and they
1: don't, they're willing to pay for that.
0: Obviously there's something, something to it.
1: Well, you know what, man, it's an interesting point because I, I, I do have um, a $32,000 bike sitting in my shed, you know, in Australian money. My GS was top of the line with all of the tricks: heated grips, cruise control, uh, the what they call quick shifter assist, which is a quick shifter that shifts up and down without the clutch. Um, luggage, the full works, right, and it was at least thirty-two. I think it was closer to thirty-three. That's a shitload of money to have in one bike, and I was. It was pretty. It was a pretty serious consideration point thinking about, you know am I really going to buy a $30,000 fucking motorcycle? You know, it's nuts. It's a nuts amount of money to have in one bike. But um, a few years ago, I went through a fairly you know, fairly dramatic sort of thing in my life where I lost both my parents in the same time. Uh, in the, within two weeks of one another, both of them passed away. And it was such a traumatic experience, but something in my head just switched and it was like, you only, you only get one shot at this, you're only here on the planet for this short life, and you've got to take full advantage of every single minute of it. So live it like you've never lived before. And I think about three months later, I bought a brand-new Ducati Hypermotard Evo 1100 SP, and, you know, that was a $22,000 bike as well. And I just haven't looked back since then. It's, it's, you know, this is my life, this is the one life I'm going to have to have it, and if I want to have a $30,000 motorcycle – rather than, you know, whatever else everyone else gets uh, hooked on, I'm going to have yeah. it, and that's it. You know, the decision is pretty simple from there. Yeah.
0: that Yeah, you can have that or, you know, the four other bikes I mentioned. It's totally irrelevant, you know, yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, no, that's cool. And, the, and you know, I know that thing has ESA. Yours probably does have, like, the ESA, the electronic suspension adjust, and, like, yep. Yep. all that crazy cool stuff. Um,
1: Cornering ABS. Yes.
0: Oh, Oh, yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah, I know, I know. When that first came out on the S1000RR, like I said, I write the technical data for it and I was looking at all these things it's funny that the S1000RR uh, had that. Ray, yeah, it said cornering ABS, race mode, rain mode. We, they were calling it wheelie control because they, they weren't saying a six-axis IMU at the time, um, even though that's basically what they're running. But you're like, wheelie control? Like, I was telling my boss, like, here's all the stuff I'm going to need to, like, include in this verbiage here. You know, like, all this new technology mm-hmm. coming out. And, yeah, they they threw everything into the... Basically every other bikes, uh, you know, every other BMW bike. Now that stuff is trickling down. Pretty soon your GS is going to have like that adaptive headlight from the K 1600. You know what I mean?
1: I know, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: So everybody, what do you think of Dan so far? He's obviously a bike nut. I loved talking to him, and I want to find out what he's owned. So let's ask him. Uh, Right off the top of your head, do you know what you've owned? Uh, Could you name every single bike you've owned?
1: since 4 um uh, I'd probably miss a few but I can get in there I reckon I could get pretty close wanna give it a crack
0: yeah let's hear it
1: I okay, mean you can well, tell definitely... me
0: all the all, all, all the cats that have been your pets or you know you can try another vest and we'll see how good you do we'll compare them
1: <laughs> well you know back then I probably didn't change them as much either because I was relying on mum and dad to buy buy them for me so um <laughs> bike 1 was definitely the wee 80 I think I'm pretty sure it was 80, but it could have been a 50 and it was, um, no clutch and just, you know, just automatically changed through the gears and had three gears. I think it was a 50. I can't remember. Yeah. That's um, me, Yamaha, up, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay. And then from there I had a, another Yamaha, an MX 80, and that was just a, a bit of a progression to go from a clutchless bike to being able to change gears. So that was a proper proper little four-stroke 80cc motorbike um from there it gets a bit fuzzy there's this kind of patch of my life where i can't actually remember what bikes we were riding and what my brothers had but i know there was a dt 500 in our life at some point and a yz uh i think it was a yz 250 somewhere in there um and then we probably moved up into the road going stages of my life. I oh, know I had a Suzuki ER 185. That's right. That was my um, that was my teenage years bike. So I was just going through maybe the last couple of years of high school, and I had a, this Suzuki ER 185. And it's really weird I, when I think of that bike. I remember it really fondly because I wasn't six foot two back then. At that stage, I was still quite a you know, a little shorter, a little skinnier, and a little runtier. And I, I used to think this bike was the biggest, badass, motherfucking bike I'd ever seen, you know. And now if I go back to a, a, to look at a Suzuki ER185, I can look at it and just go, oh, my God, that was just a piece of shit. <laughs> it was a really crappy bike. But um, I loved it at the time. It was awesome.
0: Yeah, that was your first non-Yamaha then, huh, was that one?
1: Yeah. I don't know. I think it was we were close to a Yamaha dealer, maybe. Um, from there, as mentioned, I, I moved into the road bikes. So I was I was on the ZZR two hundred and fifty for a short time, and then I moved up to a Suzuki RGV two hundred and fifty um, for quite a few years while I got my full license. And then once I got my full license, it was like time to get mad, and I really really loved the GSXR. So I think it was maybe a K or a j i think it was a j model gsxr 750 and um you know pretty naive didn't really know a lot about bikes i didn't really wasn't really into this you know the scene part of being a motorcycle biker or any of that kind of crap i just really liked riding so i knew that i wanted the gsxr but i didn't know a whole lot about them and i didn't have a whole lot of money and i found this um secondhand one that had just been painted british racing green and it looked awesome. It was like everything I wanted, the twin headlights, the cool fairing, you know, amazing-looking bike, and I bought it. You know, from what I know now, it was probably an X track bike It had, you know, had the engine worked on and probably been, you know, thrown down the road 100 times. That's why I had a British racing game fairing. Um, but it didn't, matter, it didn't matter to me because I just rode it like a lunatic anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, so it went like a cut cat, and I think it was probably an X race bike, but I, I just didn't know that at the time, you know. But now, when I think about it, why else would it have had no deck vehicles? And why else would it have had a completely green fairing? Um, you know, I reckon someone had been you know, taking that bike to the track and uh, were probably thinking it's just going to blow up when they sell it. But, you know, fortunately for me, it turned out all pretty good. Yeah. And I liked it. There was a brief period of time where I had a friend's bike, a GPZ 950, one of the classic old GPZs, Kawasaki. Um. But from there, it was the, the, a period of time where I moved from South Australia to Victoria, so I didn't have a motorcycle or a car for a while. And then once I got comfortable with sort of the fact that I'd moved to Victoria, which is it's really like moving to a different country over here, um, I thought, right, I've, really get, I've got to get back on two wheels. I need a bike. I can't do this tram train bullshit. This is doing my head in. I need to get back on a bike, and uh, I'd made a friend through the company that I worked at who was another motorcycle nutter, and he knew a friend who knew a friend who had this GSX 400, and it was going for like 700 bucks, and maybe you should get that, and then, you know, just be able to ride to work and stuff and, and see if you want to get back into motorcycles. I'm like, yeah, that sounds pretty cool. Let's go and check it out. And it was a grey import. It was a GSX FW 400. Not many of them over here. Yeah, no, uh, I think that ever Yeah, you can Google it and you'll find it. Um, pretty much just a little just a little cruiser. No, it's not a cruiser. It was a sports bike. But it had this peculiar habit of um, the top of the slides falling off the carby every time you leant over past a certain degree. <laughs> so I became an expert of pulling the tank off, <laughs> taking the, the carby caps off and putting the slides back on while I'm riding to work and again to work smelling like petrol. So that was a lot of fun.
0: <laughs> I guess it, that their, Yeah, that was their early um, lean angle sensor was that we're going to you know stall the motor here.
1: <laughs> exactly, right? I, over 80 degree lean angle and the carby slides are going to fall off, so just you know, don't go too hard, fellas. <laughs> um, that slowly drove me completely insane, and I, I knew that I was definitely going to get back into motorcycles for sure. So I had about five grand saved, up, I reckon. And, you know, in, in Australia, that's not a whole lot of money to put into a motorcycle, but I found this perfectly, perfect mint condition TRX850 by Yamaha, which is their, their um, cheap Ducati Cafe Racer copy. It's kind of, you know, it's an 800cc twin. Um, I think it was a V-twin. Yeah, I think I think that's a V twin. It had that typical Ducati sound, and it was an awesome bike, and I loved that bike. Um, rode that quite a while before I went and bought the Buell. So that was kind of brings you right up to um, oh man, maybe ten years ago. Yeah, and then it started. Then I started getting a bit nuts and changing bikes quite often. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, went from went from the Buell to the Ducati Hypermotard, from the Hypermotard to the Multistrada, Multistrada to uh, a Yamaha F One ZS for about three months before I lost my license for um, a month. Thank you Yamaha. <laughs> All the bikes yeah. fault, of course. Right. And <laughs> sold that as quick as I could and got the Multistrada. Um yeah, loved the Multistrada for a fair bit and then. Traded that on the BMW S1000R, and then traded that up just last year to the to the GS. I think that's yeah. pretty much my my motorcycle history.
0: Good grief! Oh God. <laughs> more than more than people double your age have owned. Probably <laughs> you just started going. You started going through them so fast. There, I'm mean, gonna have to listen, re-listen to it in editing. But yeah, that's an amazing. <laughs> An amazing love affair with motorcycles. I looked, yeah, I just looked up the TRX, um, 850. It was a parallel twin and that thing, thing, Oh my God, that thing looks beautiful.
1: Yeah. Uh Yeah. It's a beautiful bike, but again, just a little bit too small for me. Um, you know, you're really, and it's got that kind of racist crouch position to it. I'm I'm not into it anymore. It's too hard on my back.
0: (laughs) So listen, we, we learned all of his bikes. Let's talk travel and future plans with Dan.
1: (laughs) So yeah, as far as favourite transportation, man, I you know pretty much have to say if if it's applicable or probable, I'll take the bike. Yeah. Any, any time of day, rain or shine, I like riding on the bike. <laughs> Got to go down and do the shopping or pick up some crap for work. On <laughs> That's
0: nice, and you that have is. you have a bike that's capable of like getting groceries too. So it's not like you're on, you know, exactly. Yeah. a 50 cc scooter that you have to like have a wagon behind it or something like that. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, precisely, man. It's amazing right. when you can fit in a top box. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Small children, uh, dogs. <laughs> um, and so, so yeah, so you've been obviously riding since you were little, Yeah. Uh, the environment over in australia is it motorcycle friendly or is it uh, i'm i'm guessing worldwide motorcyclists are a very small percent of the population and so i'm I, i've been wondering about that lately as i've seen more and more stuff here in the us as we're trying to get it, it almost feels funny to say we're repressed but in a way you feel if you really look at what's happening you kind of oh yeah look we kind of are you know and so i was wondering in a big thing here is lane sharing because it's only technically allowed in california and then i was just reading the other day that washington state had also adopted a form of it but not like we can here you know we can just uh as long as we're not uh, causing anyone harm we can like go lanes you know on the freeway on surface streets obviously you can't go into oncoming traffic so you know just common sense but even on even on riding through town if you need to you can you can split down the middle of the cars to get to the front of Of traffic lights or whatever you need to do so is it is that similar to australia is it is it totally free are there places that are still what you would consider um draconian i guess in their the way they treat motorcycles or is it pretty cool all over
1: uh well look if you if you take that example that you were just talking about um in la of of, of lane sharing there are two types of um lane-sharing rules that we have to abide by here in, in Australia on, as a road-registered motorbike. But the first one is um, what's called splitting, and you're not allowed to split. Split means riding through traffic while it's moving. But the other one is called filtering, and you're allowed to filter. So filtering is allowed to be done legally if you're not going above 35 kilometres an hour and the traffic is stationary. So that we, we don't have like massive massive tra- traffic congestions in Melbourne, there, there is you know t- typical peak hour. But what that means is, if the, if you are in peak hour and the traffic is stopped, just waiting to go, you're allowed to filter through the traffic to the st- front of the lights on a motorcycle. Right, right. <laughs> but so you're yeah, not allowed to do the split thing where you, which is riding straight through the middle while moving, which is that's, yeah. that's legal. The, the other part to um the other part of the to our laws or whatever we were just talking about is that um, there are two kinds of registration for motorcycles here. And the first is uh, rec registration, which stands for recreational registration. If you've got a dirt bike, you can have a rec recreation registration for that dirt bike, which means you can ride it in any of Australia's um, forests, basically so that we've got a lot of kind of, you know, scrub forest land and stuff and you can go flying around on your motorbike Wherever you like, if it's got a rec registration label on it, so that could even be someone without any kind of driving license could have that kind of license for a dirt bike, and then right. there's just the standard driving license for me to drive on the road and ride right. on the road.
0: Yeah, one of our one of the listeners sent me a pic, and his license plate had a had a P on it. Is that? Do you have two yep. stages too, like a learner's license and then a provisional or something like that?
1: Correct. yep. That's exactly right.
0: Yeah, I saw a big a big red P or something, and somebody else had sent me a photo with like a green, and I was like, "What's the difference there?" Like, I, you know, in, in the states, it's hard to tell who has their license and who doesn't until they get in a crash, and then you're like, "Hey, where's your license?" And I don't have one, <laughs>
1: but on there, it was really right, obvious. Right. There's big letters, so. Yeah, um, yeah, you have to you have to have a stupid L plate on your motorcycle for your first. I think it's first year or a certain amount of kilometers you have to travel. I'm not sure something, but then you go into a, P, a, a probationary license. You have to display a, a big green square with a white P in it for, for probationary. And I think you have to wear that for 12 months at least as well. And then once you've done your sort of done your time with those kinds of uh, licenses, you can actually ride a, a full size motorcycle without displaying any plates.
0: That's awesome. Um, yeah, to be honest, I, I don't know if it's too easy to get your license over here or not. Uh, it's debatable. You know what I mean? Because any Yahoo can just go out and buy a thousand CC bike if they want to. Never yeah, having right. ridden, I'm going to go down to the DMV, take my written test that says I know the the rules of the street. But then there's no step up, and I, I'm going to go out and get. You know, when I when I took my safety course, there was a girl that was probably five foot one inch, maybe she maybe <laughs> sub five feet. She came rolling in on the last day of class on this big. Uh, do you remember the Honda? Rune, I think it was a rune. It was like an eighteen hundred cc. You know, oh she comes, She couldn't even f- put her tiptoes barely on the ground, and I'm going, dude, you just rolled in on your <laughs> your casket, basically, like that's insane. You just finished the course, and the instructors, I don't know if they saw her right in, but I'm sure they just would have been, you know, shaking their heads, going, "What the hell?" She j- this is her last day of class, and she just rolled up on that, you know. So, yeah, that thing, yeah. pretty nuts, but the I kind of like the, I mean, it goes against everything that's, you know, America and, and beer and getting, having your freedoms, but it would be nice to have, you know, some common sense too. So that's really interesting. Um,
1: so, yeah, yeah it's look, cool. I, think it's a, I think it's an interesting thing. Um, I reckon it's a probably a, a good safety, you know, tool to, to make people realize that you can only ride up to a 600cc when you're on your L's or your probationary license. So there's right. there's that kind of regulation to it as well. So I, I don't know if it works or so it work, I don't know.
0: Yeah. So what you're saying too is that if somebody's really um poor or doesn't know how to shop well for a bike, they could be on a 250 their whole life because uh yeah. <laughs> they're just going to be on a <laughs> starter bike. Yep. <laughs> that's the thing. A lot of people will buy like big bikes cuz they don't want to grow out of them. So that's why I think here their first bike is a 1000 you know cc sport bike or something but
1: bananas that's really crazy
0: yeah you know when you're going when you have your first crash and you're all pissed off at yourself it really doesn't make sense um are people friendly to motorcyclists uh for the most part is it as a mixed mixed bag
1: yeah i I think so there's obviously people who, who think it's just all hooligans and hooligans and madmen but i think it's um i think it's pretty well sort of built into our culture mostly because a lot of um you know, sort of remote Australia is, remote and country Australia, is it's all farming uh, industry. So, you know, it, you right. can't press, I reckon, finding a person who's not ridden some sort of farm bike or some somewhere in their life, jumped on even like a, a quad or something, you know, and been fanging around the farm right. or, or something like that on a motorcycle. So I, I think it is, we still have a bit of that sort of draconian attitude about, Uh, Definitely when it comes to like motorcycle gangs and outlaw motorcycle clubs, we've got some ridiculous rules and laws around that stuff, which is just, just propaganda. It's ridiculous. So, you know, there are are different spectrums.
0: Right. Yeah. You never, (laughs) you never see stuff in the news here about uh, friendly clubs doing this or that either. It's always like, international biker shootout in you know mostly places yeah. like Texas where you can carry your gun into Denny's you know which is like a you know a national food chain i guess like a McDonald's you know you just carry your gun everywhere yep. and then these biker gangs clash and that's what you hear you know you don't hear about track you know people doing a track day or a ride to support kids you know what i mean so it's yeah it's no, really yeah. interesting yeah so yeah it kind of sounds like it's pretty much the same yeah, and then, a- like, getting around you know what always is funny to me is the – besides the fact that you guys are – I'm talking to you and it's tomorrow. Um, that's always going to be funny to me in this whole conversation <laughs> is the leaders thing. You guys – um, gasoline over there must be in dollars per gallon, which is how we measure it here. Just like, I don't know, like $12 per gallon. Because you go by, by per
1: liter, right? Correct, yeah. So how many liters is in a gallon? Do you know? You got me. <laughs> yeah. I'd ha- I'd have to Google it and I can't be bothered moving. Um, <laughs> I think it's something like three. I think there's something like three liters to a gallon, but but yeah, we we we're fully metric, so we buy petrol per litre. And
0: oh it's it's three and a qu- three and three quarters. There you so go.
1: Damn near almost forward. four. Yeah. yeah. So our, our petrol and I'm talking um what we call premium unleaded, so it's ninety eight ron which is what i use in my motorcycle. Right. Um is about $1.50 per liter. So that would make it roughly 6 bucks per gallon. Yeah.
0: And that's about nah, double what it is here in LA, but if you go to right. rural America, rural America it's, you know, a dollar cheaper. So, yeah, no, that's that is a little bit more and it's I'm guessing it's because you guys have to have everything shipped over there, you know, or imported that, in is
1: that i think so but i, I think you got to um the thing you've got to understand as well is um the relative style of living and the relative the relativity to the average wage and the average cost of living because i mean i've been to the states a couple of times i've been to the uk a couple of times and that's what i notice every single time you know is when you when you take one dollar in australian money and you make it 50 pence in the uk the relativity to what you can get for 50 pence in the uk is completely different to the relativity of what you can buy for a dollar in australia and the same goes for the states when i traveled to the states our dollar was almost on parity so it was really really similar to you know change my money over and and have american dollars but it was different to what i could buy for a, a one american dollar to one australian dollar so i always sort of we always wonder how that works out for us, or you know, if it works out for us in our favor or against us. It's a it's right. a interesting kind of thing to think about.
0: Right? Yeah, that is. You can't even buy a bottle of water for a dollar basically here. <laughs> so yeah, yeah no, that is no. that is interesting to think about. So hey, uh, uh, while we're talking about travel, where would you go like, do you have any future plans to go somewhere or your dream trip? Let's just say today, cause maybe, you know, the next bike you have, it'll change. But right now yeah. as you're just chilling there, what, uh, would be your dream vacation right now?
1: Oh man, I'd love to do all those. Um, I'd love to do all those stereotypical rides. You know, we'd, I'd love to ride the dragon. I'd love mm-hmm. to do route 66. Um, there's a place I can't even remember what country it's in, but I can think it's called Stevios Pass. You mm-hmm. see it on a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of social media. People put like a meme up with that typical drawing yeah. of the winding roads of Stevios Pass. I'd love like to do yeah, all believe, that sort of stuff.
0: I believe that's the Italian Alps that goes through. Yeah, not, I think you're right. If, yeah, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. yeah oh yeah, those famous. And, w- what about India? Because I mean, you're actually close to India, right?
1: Yeah. It doesn't really attract me as much. I don't, don't, I'm not really that keen on that idea. I I would like to do, um, a lot more of Europe, I think more, um, and having a, having a a friends based in the UK and being able to like do the tunnel ride to Paris and, you know, just crazy stuff like that would be really cool for us because here, you know, you can ride for an hour and be nowhere. (laughs) Whereas if you're in the UK, you can be from Scotland to England in two hours, you know, like it's it's nuts how you can just switch countries so quickly, right. and then from there, you know, it's a short ride over the tunnel, and you're in Paris. That right. just blows my mind. You know, I, I ride all day to be in South Australia from Victoria, so it's it's just <laughs> crazy to think that um, you can do that sort of travel over there. So I'd love to I'd love to explore Europe a bit more. I reckon.
0: Right, right, yeah. It it is. It's funny to think that. The, some of the countries are like the size of the states here. So yeah, like what you're yeah. saying totally, totally resonates. In in one day, if you rode hard, you could be through three different countries. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So yeah, that is that would be actually, yeah. Just put me anywhere on two wheels. I think I'd I think I'd have fun. Are you are you anti Royal Enfield? Is that why no India and now Norton? I guess is being made over there. So.
1: <laughs> yeah, not at all, man. Now I quite like the little, the, the uh, Royals. I think they're quite nice. But yeah, I yeah, no, just a f- uh, don't know, don't know why, but it doesn't have the appeal for me. I do yeah. I don't, not really, uh, not really interested. Strangely enough, the food, maybe the food, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, do you have speaking of the future again? God, this trips me out. <laughs> speaking <laughs> of the future, uh, do you have any future plans? Is Daily Bikers going to turn into? You know, a magazine? Are you Are you going to go art art gallery with some of your stuff? Because I'm telling you, you could. You know.
1: Oh man! I don't, even, don't don't kid me. There's that no way. <laughs> Look, I'd um, I'd love to uh, keep developing it, and one thing that I've sort of been thinking about lately is trying to maybe split it off into a proper kind of uh, art thing whereas daily bikers is kind of more the place where i just talk about motorbikes and blog for that you know because it's a passion and a, and a hobby whereas i could see the the art side of the daily bikers stuff being something that stands alone a bit more so i've been looking into that at the moment um i don't really know where it's going to go though
0: i did see do you run a ducati blog and all that stuff too or
1: yeah yeah so okay that when i, when I first got my um ducati hyper Motard, that was where the love affair with uh, the Ducati big twin thing came in and I started searching around online for blogs that talked about Ducatis and there was really nothing. So I started up my own and I guess that's where all this blogging motorcycle stuff started. So yeah, there's ducatiblog.com.au which led me into dailybikers.com, which was a um, a partnership at first with my friend, Steve. Um, But he's, He's a busy man with seven kids, so Holy cow. He ended up kind of he ended up pulling out a wee bit of uh, the Daily Biker site, and now it's just more more a personal blog where I, I talk about my my ridiculous habits and bike <laughs> fandom. Um, and then then the art thing came along, and I tried to merge the two together, but I'm not quite sure that's the right approach. So I'm, I'm sort of still in a bit of um, a bit of a I don't know what the fuck I'm doing phase.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I actually think they go pretty well together, you know, but, but I can see how you could also easily separate them. You know what I mean? And just have the, um, the art, art stuff be its own thing. And of course the blog thing, you know, everybody loves a good blog and I have to say that I really enjoy reading the stories and stuff like that on yours. Um, thanks man. So yeah, no, I know. I just, it's just, I'm going to definitely have my eye on it and keep, you know, keep checking it out and just see where it does end up going. Only time will tell. Thanks man.
1: Appreciate that. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's an evolving thing. I just, uh, I like to be able to practice my chops as a writer and also like to be able to, you know, mess around with the, the drawing stuff. So who knows where it'll take me. I'd really like to do t-shirts and and get some sort of clothing stuff happening. But I find with my drawings, um, I don't know. they just, I just haven't quite hit the right design. I think I need to, Spend some time on that before the right sort of sort of t-shirt design comes out. Maybe
0: right. A lot of people don't realize too, like you were talking about the colors earlier and like how many colors can be that screening a t-shirt. Every single color is a different screen, and you're exactly have, yeah. You know, a ten-color ten press just to do a shirt for you, and then they're like, oh, that'll yeah. be 300 dollars per shirt, and yeah. So That's
1: exactly right. Yeah,
0: we know what your future plans are, and we know that we need to keep our eye on you. Uh, how do we do that? Where can we find you uh, on the web or in person?
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Look, um, I'm a bit of I'm a bit of a social media nerd. So if you're on Twitter, I probably respond the quickest to tweets, and um, that's really easy. It's Twitter at Daily Bikers one word. So luckily enough, I was I chose a domain name and a, a brand name that wasn't really already used anywhere. So I was able to get the same domain name on pretty much all of the social media channels. So if you're on Facebook, just put at Daily Bikers in the title. If you're on Twitter, just use at Daily Bikers in the title. Same for Pinterest, um, same for Google+, Plus, which is Google's social uh, network equivalent of Facebook. Um, Where else? Obviously the blog. It's dailybikers.com. And if you're interested in my Ducati adventures, which was, you know, probably a, it was a really interesting learning for me because I'd only just sort of, you know, jumped onto a really big, f- flat-out crazy motard, the, the 1100 Evo SP, but also I just discovered motorcycle blogging, so that's where that all started, and that's uh, DucatiBlog.com.au. Um, otherwise, if you want to get in touch just to ask me about something, a guest spot, or you want to write a post or whatever, you can email dailybikers at gmail.com.
0: And then I'm going to throw in one here too, which is the main one that you should focus on and you should support Dan financially is uh, go to Etsy, right? Your oh, Etsy store.
1: Oh, man, how did I forget that? <laughs> oh,
0: yeah, that's where, that's where the, you know, all the long, hard work that he's done, uh, been doing for the last 30 some odd years can be seen on paper. You can actually buy something from him that uh, hopefully has like something that you're going to love in there. I I love almost every single piece, you know, it's, they're so awesome.
1: Thanks. They
0: can can get to your shops. Yeah. Well, they're fantastic illustrations. They can get straight to that from Daily Bikers. Yeah, they can if they check out the shop from Daily Bikers. So do yourself a favor. Kill two birds with one stone. Go read some funny ass stories and some really insightful, you know, blog posts and then hit the shop button at the top and take yourself over to Etsy and buy yourself A notebook held that wrapping paper i thought was a clever idea i have not really seen people illustrate wrapping paper that's a good one but yeah check check those out and then dan thank you for coming on the show thank you so much for uh wasting some time (laughs) i'm sure it was precious time horribly spent but thank you for for talking with me and um we'll keep our eyes on you and catch you on the flip side
1: man thank you it's been an excellent uh hour chatting here this morning really appreciate your time man
0: thank you Oh, holy shit. That was amazing. I got to speak to a man who lives in the future. And I also got to speak to a crazy motorcycle enthusiast that own has owned at least a billion bikes. And even though he's a million miles away, you can look at his stuff right in front of your face at dailybikers.com. And like he said, check out ducatiblog.au.com. You know, support this guy he is talented and he's a mo- one of the moto family so I-, I can't believe thank you so much Dan for coming on um, I it was so great talking to uh, somebody who might be dead I don't I don't know if the kangaroos actually got him yet or not so in case he's still alive you better get on over to dailybikers.com go to his Etsy store buy some stuff just help a brother out who's helped trying to make the motorcycling world a better place by writing about it illustrating it and bringing it to you. All right. Well, that's our show for this week. It's been a whopper. We're going on like an hour and forty minutes here, so I better wrap things up. And listen, the sorry list. I didn't really keep notes. Let's let, let's apologize here, and then get into the bloops. Okay, let's do this shit. All right. I know I talked about the uh, mods versus rockers ride in L.A. I know I talked about. The Yamaha SCR 950. I know I talked about the Ducati Scrambler, so I'm sorry to Yamaha. I'm sorry to L.A. uh, I'm sorry to Newcomb's Ranch. I am sorry to Road America. uh, I'm sorry to Diet Coke, which I think I had at Newcomb's Ranch. uh, I'm sorry to Bandito Campground. I'm sorry to... Did I already say Yamaha and Ducati Company? Oh shit! Who else did we mention here? Sorry to Daily, daily Bikers and DucatiBlog dot au dot dot com actually. Uh, big, big sorry to uh, the K.O.T.S., the Kittens on the Stairs, um, or the King of the Streets, I think is my, might be what it's called. Hopefully our friends from uh, Waukesha, Waukesha um, have a good time this weekend and party it up. Sorry to all you jokesters out there. Sorry to Chris and Michelle for having sent me such a wonderful care package and getting nothing in return but this shitty show. And most of all, sorry, sorry, sorry to Dan Michael for wasting precious moments of your life. There's only so much of it to live, man. There's only so much writing to do. Can we take a moment? Yeah. All right, Dan, get out there and do what you do. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you to each and every listener of the show, and uh, sorry to you all. Sorry to Cookie Monster. Sorry to Sesame Street. Sorry to the Station Fire, and sorry to Mount Wilson. Sorry to Angeles Crest National Forest. We're out of here. That Courtney, Courtney Barnett is basically how I've been learning about
1: Australia. They're actually pretty nasty animals. It's a really strange physical phenomenon. 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 Oh, God. I can't get that word right.
0: It's flamenon. Phleg- it's easy for you to say. Come on. Blah, 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 yeah. blah, and I said unkempt and, and squirrely, so to speak. Or else, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? I, hey, listen, I don't know what a blumpkin is. What's a blumpkin?
1: That is better.
0: All right, perfect.
1: Yeah, that oh, way. yeah, that's perfect.
0: Yeah, that way we don't have to. I
1: thought you could turn. Left on a red if it was clear.
0: The water goes down the toilets. Different, I guess. You know, it's about the biggest difference.
1: <laughs> True story. How weird is that? The, the largest kangaroo. I mean, that thing can stand eight foot tall, and you know, it'll oh, just rip you to sh- rip you to shreds if it hit you with its claws. Like you're saying, That's tear right. your
0: pant. Tear- First, they tear your pants off, then your dick, and then whatever else. You know, like they <laughs> it don't give. It, they, don't give- from there. <laughs> they don't care. <laughs>